Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men. What? Uncanny X-Men, number 246, the July 1989 issue on sale March 21st of 1989. Cover price of a dollar. This one's titled The Day of Other Lights, which I got to imagine is a reference. Probably. Something. It's been uh, it's been a while, Adam. Since we did a X Men proper, yeah, Uncanny X Men proper. Yeah, I've been missing this. I, I actually kind of forgot what our podcast was all about. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. Uh, there's characters on the cover, but I don't know who they are because I don't recognize any of them. Just kidding. One of them is all red and blue, so it's like Captain America, I think, <laughs> with a big yellow face and <laughs> and just like a super pouty lower lip. Uh, it does say "Enter the Master Mold" on the cover, so I'm guessing that Master Mold has once again found a way to resurrect himself. So Mother Mold's, <laughs> sorry, Master Mold has, has a uh, <laughs> has a paint job. Yeah, uh, and a human-looking face. Is that new? I don't. I don't. I know. feel like all the Sentinels had human-esque-looking faces. I guess this is this is more human than human yeah i mean this looks like a human sketch you could you could transplant this face onto a face with ears and hair and you would have a character it's not like robotic face um in the foreground you have rogue who's who's passed out in kind of a oh my stars and garters pose it's practically a pinup pose kind of is like if you were to blow this up and put her in a bikini you, you would think it was a swimsuit special she does not look like she's hurt, she looks like she is resting. Yeah. Master Mold is getting ready to smush her. His fist is like coming down. It's we did a full swing from high up above the X-Men logo and it's about to crush Rogue. And in Master Mold's other hand is Psylocke, who is very busty. Well, he's being she's she's being squeezed. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> And that's it. That's that's the cover. It's a weird color scheme. It's it's kind of gross. Orange, <laughs> blue, red, yellow. I would be intrigued, and I, I don't recall specifically. No, I think I'm pretty sure I owned this issue growing up. Uh, I, I would have definitely been excited by uh, Master Mold being back. But, you know, other than that, the cover's kind of meh. What can you do? Other than Rogue, they they spent a, a good deal of time on that jawline. Yeah, it feels like they started with Rogue. Mm-hmm. Kind of ran out of speed by the time they got to the background. Uh, this is, as you said, the day of other lights. It's Chris Claremont writing, Mark Silvestri penciling, Dan Green inking, Joe Rosen lettering, Glynis Oliver coloring, Bob Harris editing, and Tom DeFalco as the editor-in-chief. And Dazzler is looking at the Siege Perilous. Do you remember the Siege Perilous? I know it's a thing. Yeah. Well, here it is. It's the thing that Roma gave them right before they died in Dallas. Or I guess after. Didn't it used to be bigger? Uh, Didn't they all walk into it at some point? Yeah, but, yeah, but but then um, it 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 grows and shrinks. And Roma gave it to him and said, like, here's the Siege Perilous. If you ever need it, you can use it and start over. It's basically like a candy dish. It's weird looking. It's got like engraved eyes and horns on it. But uh, as Dazzler looks into it, she sees a whole bunch of different possibilities. She sees herself as a lawyer. 
I guess she sees herself still as a superhero, a singer, a mom, and a bag lady, still in her Dazzler uniform. And we've seen some of these before from that annual where they saw all these different possibilities of themselves. Do you recall? I don't. The one where they went to, they were under control from that guy who was like the war master or something like that. And they go to this foreign planet and he makes them go into this place where there are all the statues of all the other races who have tried to get it. And then the X-Men go in and see all these possibilities of themselves. And then Wolverine becomes a space god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, X-Men annual number 11. Yeah. So in that one, we saw the homeless Dazzler. And for some reason, that's where she chooses to become the homeless Dazzler. That's I don't right. remember why. I don't, I don't either. And I feel like we also saw the lawyer Dazzler in that. I think you're right. I could be wrong about that one. So the reason that this is working is because Dazzler is casting her light power into the Siege Perilous, which is causing it to uh, reflect on the facets of the crystal all of these possibilities. It's weird. She says lawyer, superhero, singer, ordinary mom, bag lady. Why doesn't she just say mom? I don't, well, because she wants to be an ordinary mom, not a... Not an inordinary mom. I guess. Abnormal mom. You could just say mom. Yeah, well, she has... Not, she's, a, she's, not a super mom. Well, that maybe that's what she's like. Yeah, maybe she doesn't have any superpowers. She's just an Not even a mom. great mom. Just an a, a below average mom. <laughs> yep. She means to do her best, but every now and then she slips up. And one of the children dies. Oh, man. That, that, she's not a very good mom. She got dark quick. <laughs> Uh, so as she, she thinks to herself, like, oh, I wonder what would be in store for me. And the Siege Perilous flips around and basically shows her being murdered in every one of those outcomes. Not just murdered, but murdered mere seconds after the first images. So, well, except for maybe the homeless one. Well, no, she freezes there. I guess so she's not murdered in that one. But, but yeah, yeah, she packs up her car full of groceries and immediately drives into a semi uh, she's on stage and gets shot from the front, I guess probably from another superhero maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then as a lawyer, she gets shot in the back. Uh, and then as just a plain old singer, she gets shot by a fan. So I don't think the middle one is her being a singer. I think it's her just being a superhero. Okay. it she You're probably right. Because I got confused because it looks like she's kind of in a singing pose, not a dying pose. Yeah, it kind of does. We only know that she's a singer in the last one because the guy shooting her has a Dazzler Tour 89 t-shirt on. Mm -hmm. And so she starts yelling out, no, it's not fair. This isn't real. It's my imagination. I won't accept any of this. Well, she's right. It's not real. And that's when an old, decrepit, decaying Dazzler comes out. And she's like, death comes to everybody. It's going to come to you. Dost thou think thou can so easily flee thy fate? Yeah, that dialogue was a little difficult. So she's Asgardian. I guess. And she screams, get away! And then they all disappear, and now it's it's dark. All the power's out, and she's wasted all of her power trying to illuminate that uh, Siege Perilous. She needs some noise. And that's when I realized that Dazzler was wearing a bikini this whole time. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I didn't realize it until this panel. Yeah, this would be like probably the first. Well, she's she's kind of in a bent over like 
pinup pose. Another pinup pose. Well, she's hang- why is she hanging out in this with a siege perilous in the middle of the headquarters in her bikini? Well, I, I mean, feel I feel maybe like she was on her way out to the beach or something, or mm. is this nighttime and this is what she sleeps in? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like in the Jubilee story, and maybe a different story, there's water next to this computer for some reason. So, so this is this is a reference to that jubilee story i don't know i think she's <laughs> i have no idea adam it, it does not explained why she is in a bikini in the underground computer lair i think she was going to the beach because she does have a container of aussie tan in her nearby purse satchel yeah and so she needs some noise and so she grabs out a cassette tape of u2 rattle and hum and she slams it into the the jukebox i mean the boom box I never liked that movie. Really? Yeah, I just, I, I always felt like they seemed really pretentious. It is pretentious. It's horribly pretentious. Uh, yeah. But I feel like I like it only because it's like a, a weird, a weird slice of 1989, but from like a warped, um, pretentious rock band's point of view. It's weird that they would approve that because it just makes them look really bad. But I guess if that's what they were, that's what they were. I think I read that Phil Jean, 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 Jean whatever his name is, uh, he really wanted to get to the heart of YouTube. He wanted interviews and he wanted like a whole bunch of uh, dialogue and context and backstory, but he just couldn't get anything out of them. And that's why it basically just turned into a giant concert movie with like pretentious wraparounds and even yeah, some of the concert well. performances are, are fairly pretentious, but uh, it's, it's a weird relic of that time period and you could never reproduce it. It could never happen again. Oh, yeah. If they were to do the same thing now, it would be totally different. Yeah. And I also just like um, the film quality. It's a, like a grainy film, whereas today it would all be like high definition 4k 3d fancy and and this is a, a thing that is just like shot on film because so many other concert videos were shot on videotape uh and now digital it just i don't know. Well, i feel like if if the grain is present in the film it was probably shot on 16 millimeter and then blown up oh i, I mean probably but still it's that's my it's, guess it's, it's film because if it was shot on 32, it wouldn't look grainy mm. unless they added effects to it. I doubt they would have done that. So you're probably right. It was probably all shot in 60 millimeter. And then the other, uh, they lost like a whole bunch of footage, I guess. And that's why like three quarters of it is in black and white. And it doesn't turn to... Oh, really? That wasn't an artistic choice. I mean, it was an artistic choice to film a lot of it in black and white. But it was... That's really to, funny. But they lost most of it. So that's why kind of towards the end. And they kind of... They like... Uh, they emphasize it in the movie as they hit whatever song they play. I don't remember what it is. The lights come on and all of a sudden, boom, the movie's now in color. But there's like 10 minutes left of the movie. Just like Wizard of Oz. Kind of, but just in reverse. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I can understand not liking the movie. Uh, I like the album. It's it's I only, I've only seen the movie once. And oh. I felt at the time... Uh, which was probably over 10 years ago. I thought it was pretty pretentious. Um, it didn't stop me from liking the band. It just made me not like that period of the band, I guess. Yeah, that's a it's a contentious time. 
And I don't really care for that album either, except for Desire. Desire is a pretty good song. Oh, I, I like that album front to back. There's a lot of good stuff on there. But And Dazzler thinks so too, so you know she's cool. She just needs noise. She doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> but why would she pack Aussie Tan and U2's Rattle and Hum and no other cassettes? Somebody gave it to her. <laughs> Bono's a fan and he mailed, hey, uh, Dazzler, I'm a really big fan of your music. I thought you should listen to my latest. I don't know why I'm British all of a sudden, but you got to work with what you got. Yeah. It's Bono doing his Ringo impression. <laughs> Trying to impress Dazzler. Anyways, the boombox doesn't play, so she's got no sound? No, I guess maybe it does play. No, it does play, but she's worried about it not playing. Because it's so dark, she's like, what if it doesn't play? What do I do then? But it plays, and she says, gotcha, and she's all powered up, and she calls herself a dweeb, and she says, I wish there had been a monster, at least then, and she realizes that her hand is all bloody, uh, presumably from one of the corners of the Siege Perilous, that I guess she was holding very tightly mm-hmm. or perhaps something else. I don't, I'm not really sure why she's bleeding. It's my best guess. I, yeah, I don't know if it's symbolic of anything. Actually, I think it is. So, okay. Just hold that thought, I well, guess. Hold that thought. We cut over to New York, um, Manhattan. Uh, we're getting a narration from a clearly robotic figure. And, um, uh, cut to the chase. It's Nimrod. <gasps> He's back. I'm Nimrod. <laughs> he is uh, stopping a drug. He's, he's making a drug bust. Yes. And so is he like a cop now? Is this Nimrod cop? He way back in X-Men like 200 uh, and kind of the introduction of Nimrod, he kind of became like a street level hero. Was there a comic book out at this time called Nimrod Cop? I wish there was, but no. Because I would have collected that. No, he was uh, he was kind of the working man superhero, even even while he was undercover tracking mutants, but also being kind of a street-level uh, hero, working for the little guy. I remember that he was a construction worker or something to that effect. Where So he has a, a human guise. Yes. But I don't remember him stopping drugs. Yeah, well, I mean, he stopped some crime, and there was, like, I think issue 200. Uh, they're all like, yo, that's Nimrod. He's so cool, because he stops, like, a bank robbery or something. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Now you're bringing it back to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nimrod's a hero, and, yeah, people were like, oh, this Nimrod's really cool. He's going to stop all the mutants. Okay. I feel like uh, Chris Claremont was trying to do more with Nimrod, but he just kind of... Forgot about him. <laughs> Forgot about him, ran out of pages or something, because they were really hitting that sort of like, he's an everyman uh, hero, but I don't know if they were trying to spin a comic book out of it or if they were going to have like more pages dedicated to it as they built up the character of Nimrod, but I don't know. After after he fought the X-Men and the Hellfire Club, like that was pretty much it until now. And that was a long time ago. So I guess presumably Nimrod Cop has been on this on the case this whole time. <laughs> He's been making drug busts, stopping the drug trade in Manhattan, and killing pretty much everybody involved. I mean, he uh, there's three gun gunmen with their doing their drug deals, and Nimrod incinerates them. Yes, he does. And then he takes the money and he's like, oh, look at all of this money. What should I do? I'll take it and put it back into the community. Yeah. 
destroying its future by hooking kids on cracks. Wouldn't it be better to use this money to help repair the damage? At least it's worth a try. And so he uses uh, his little mitten print to make an N on the wall to let the bad guys know Nimrod's back in town. Or that it's very cold in this room and you should wear mittens. Or it's a team in Wisconsin or Michigan that starts with an N. Yeah, this is not a very, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe this is well known around Manhattan. Maybe he's been leaving these all over the place. I feel like they would come in and be like, why does Nancy keep leaving oven mitt prints everywhere? <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of uh, not that, I don't, I don't know what the goal of it is. It's supposed to be threatening or or scary somehow. I don't it know. It doesn't come off that way. And it's here where I realize, does Nimrod, has Nimrod only ever had mittens for hands? <laughs> that's a good question i guess i you know you never really think about it but i just would have assumed he would have had like three or four fingers if you're a robot you gotta stay warm <laughs> so we cut back to australia and uh wolverine is in the bathroom styling up his hair with some styling gel and uh storm's like what is that and wolverine says it's something that i picked up when havoc and i were in mexico Storm says, along with the bubonic plague. And when I read this for the first time, I obviously didn't read the Havoc Wolverine story. So none of this made any sense. I was like, is the bubonic plague thing a joke? Yeah, I guess uh, I guess you have to read that to get this. If you didn't read it, I mean, you guess they're just kind of joking back and forth because Wolverine is styling his hair slightly differently than he normally does. Uh, and he, he does style his hair in the style of uh, Havoc Wolverine. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. And he says, uh, who are you to make fun, Miss Mohawk? And she says, I'd hoped, Logan, that you would learn from my mistakes. She's got a big smile on her face. They're they're jokesters. They're joking to each other. It's great. Yep. And so he washes all the styling product out of his hair and said, you know what? This looked better on the road. <laughs> And she asks about his requested leave of absence, and he says he's got to, something's come up and he's got to go. And she says, of course, the X-Men will help, but she says, he's, Wolverine says this is private business, and now she's wearing his shades from Havoc and Wolverine. I'm not, is the jacket also? I mean, I guess the jacket must be from Havoc and Wolverine. Uh, the shades, I remember. The shades? definitely are but maybe maybe the jacket's his patch jacket well there's there's an eye patch next to those shades okay so yeah maybe that's his so the jacket must be his patch jacket and the shades are from havoc and wolverine okay and i had to i i was gonna ask you like where are these shades from because i didn't know if this was part of the patch disguise which wouldn't make any sense to have dark shades (laughs) over an eye patch but yeah. Uh, it makes way more sense that they're those uh, distinct shades from Havoc Wolverine. Storm asks, like, when are you coming back? And he said, uh, expect me back when I'm back. <laughs> yeah, which is not helpful at all. <laughs> when will that be? When the job's done. Not sure what job he's talking about. It sounds like he's going to Japan. Yeah, I, I feel like this is uh, just a good excuse to not have some good continuity of Wolverine's not in all these places at the same time. Right. Which they don't even try to do anymore. Well, not today, but like the Wolverine (laughs) unlimited series doesn't need to take place in any certain time in the comics. I don't think. 
because uh, I yeah. don't I don't think things that they are doing uh, have any effect on really the rest of the Marvel universe. So who knows? There's been some previous issues though where Psylocke or somebody will be like, Wolverine's got his little jaunts, kind of inferring that Wolverine leaves from time to time to go to Madripoor. According to the timeline that I sometimes use, the next thing for Wolverine to go into is Marvel Comics, another Marvel Comics Presents series that we haven't gotten to yet. Mm. So I guess we'll keep our eyes out for that. Maybe it'll make sense when we get there. Probably not, though. Those don't seem to matter at all. No. Rogue is in Washington, D.C., but it's actually Carol in Rogue's body, and she's visiting her uh, brother, Stephen Danvers, on the wall of dead army people. Yes. To be completely (laughs) insensitive to what this wall stands for. I apologize. Uh, She's very moved by it. Uh, She she takes out her, is it a purple heart, I think? To be fair, Chris Claremont could describe what this wall is, but instead he just says, the wall, expecting 10-year-old Adam and Jeremy to know what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, in fairness, I was probably like 14 or 15 by this time, but still... You son of a... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I would have known what this was at that age. It would have been nice to have a narration box that was like the wall, a representation of service men and women who have died in the line of combat outside of the Washington Monument in D.C. That would have been nice, but anyways, didn't happen. And educational. Yeah, all at the same time. So uh, Carol in Rogue's Body brings her medal of honor or or some medal for service uh, above and beyond the call of duty and puts it next to a picture of her and her brother in baseball uniforms um, next to the wall. Um, Which seems like not a smart thing to do. Why is that? Well, it's going to get stolen. I think it's more symbolic than anything else. I think whatever happens to this stuff after she leaves is irrelevant. It's like a medal of valor. I don't know, man. I don't know. She uh, says, you shouldn't have died. None of you should, uh, she says to the wall in general. And then she salutes it, and she flies off. Back in Australia, Longshot, Colossus, and Havoc are having a training session because they have no danger room. And the exercise here is for Longshot to throw his knives. Basically, Havoc is pushing himself to his limit to see if he can both dodge Colossus and shoot long shots, flechettes at the same time. And uh, he screws up more or less. He he is able to do that, but he misses one of the flechettes and ends up shooting Colossus. And that um, ricochets off of Colossus and hits, almost hits long shot, which would have killed him, presumably, I guess. Um, and long shot says, I guess it was... Wild luck that made me move right when Alex fired. Ha! Huh, good thing I followed that instinct. Havoc is not very happy about this. He talks about his plasma beams being so powerful. He's got to have them under absolute control. Got to start taking this seriously. And that's when Dazzler shows up super bright. But at the same time, he says, I am taking it seriously because I'm practicing. Practice makes perfect. Longshot gives a or Dazzler collects a pack of knives, flechettes, gives them to Colossus. Colossus throws them, and uh, Dazzler uses her little beams and blows them all up. And she's like, 
That's how it's done, sweetheart. Better luck next time. Yeah, this was kind of dumb. She's showing off, and he's like, next time I'll do better, and eventually Allison's skill, not luck, the best. I don't know. I, I I don't get I don't get what the scene is like here for. Is there like some sort of conflict between Allison and Alex that I don't am not really aware of? <laughs> are they are they setting something up? Like last we saw Dazzler, she was crouched in the darkness, and she like managed to escape from that fate. But now she's all like cocky. Yep. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I think. Uh, this is the beginning of an arc. Okay, so this will make sense later. All right, I'm fine with that. I don't want to go that far, Adam. <laughs> oh, all right. I do want to say that definitely some of the things that Havoc is going through right now is definitely is coming back to us. I don't know why they kind of put this this little competition between Dazzler and Havoc in here because it does seem kind of forced, and I don't know if it pays off or if it's just supposed to be jokey. I don't know. Okay. But but things are about to happen, Adam. This is gonna be it's gonna be a little wild ride that I'm I'm not sure I ever fully understood. So hopefully, as we talk through the next like I don't know, fifteen issues, um, I don't know, probably still won't be clear. Okay. <laughs> so at the Hellfire Club, Sharon shows up. Do you remember Sharon? No, me neither. <laughs> is Sharon really a character, or these? I thought these were all new characters. Do you remember Cornine and Rico? Uh, Kareen and Rico. No, I don't remember them either. Is it Kar- Oh, there's two. It's a double N. Um, neither do I. But they sure go out and make a big deal about these characters. They're Hellfire. They're 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 Hellfire girls, I guess. They're dressed up in their maid outfits. Um, Sharon is dressed up in his or her uh, uh, fur coat, I guess. Sharon is married to Senator Robert Kelly, but she used to be a Hellfire Glove, so it's a real rags-to-riches story here. Yeah. And the other girls are like, oh, you're so lucky, and she's like, I don't know, embassy ball, tomorrow White House reception, grind, grind, grind. (laughs) So she's definitely showing off. Although, got to be honest, I don't think being a politician's wife is like (laughs) the lap of luxury. I mean, I definitely think you get some meals paid for, but I don't think you're wearing fur coats and driving around in limos. Well, maybe when you're associated with the Hellfire Club and the wife of a senator, maybe like maybe there are some perks. I'm not really I'm not really sure either. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, she's like, hey, do you have any more maid uniforms? I want to play a trick on the senator. Uh, And the senator and Robert. Shaw, Robert Shaw. Sebastian Shaw. Sebastian Shaw. <laughs> Senator Robert Kelly and isn't, Sebastian Shaw. Isn't Robert Shaw an actor? It could be. It sounds like it sounds familiar. Didn't Robert Shaw play um There's Robert Forster. Who was who played Quint in Jaws? Um Robert Shaw. Was it? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up because I bet you it's Robert Shaw. It could be. I, I can't remember who any of those guys are. Oh, really? Yeah. I, uh, there's there's Quint, who's played by somebody. Robert Shaw. Boom. Really? Nailed right. it. <laughs> Mic great, drop. Great, great job. Who were the other two actors? Brody. Uh, and then there was the scientist guy. The scientist guy was um, Mr. Holland's opus man. 
Yeah. Okay. He, he's the probably the uh, most. What's his famous name? Famous of the three, like today. What? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I want to say Dustin Hoffman, but that's completely wrong. He was also uh, the narrator in Stand by Me. His first appearance is in The Graduate, where he has a he has a cameo. Although I guess it wouldn't be a cameo then because it's a first appearance. It's only a cameo if you know who he is. And then Brody was, I can't remember his name. I feel really bad about that. I can picture him clear as day. Yeah, I can too. Mm. He's also in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. He makes a mountain of mashed potatoes. He was also in Jaws 2. Really? <laughs> yep. I didn't think they brought anybody back. Did Brody come back too? Oh, that's that's what I meant. Brody was came back, and Brody's wife. Okay. Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider, yes. Yeah, yeah. And Mr. Holland's opus. And Mr. Mr. Holland's nopus. Oh, my gosh. How can we not? How can I? Don't you just have Jaws up? You just looked up Robert Shaw. I, I'm like, I, I should have just brought up the Wikipedia page, but for some reason I'm Googling it. Richard Dreyfuss. Richard Dreyfuss, yeah. of course. That's a, that's uh, and then Ellen Page. <laughs> no, not Ellen Page. No, that's wrong. Uh, Ellen was the wife's <laughs> Ellen Brody. Who played Ellen Brody? This has been Not Remembering Names with Adam and Jeremy. <laughs> Looking up names on the internet. Uh, that was Lorraine Gray. Lorraine Gary. Directed by Steven Spielberg. I know that. <laughs> the book was written by Peter Benchley. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. And the shark was played by a robot named Bruce. Yeah, good old Bruce. Uh, okay, anyways, uh, Sebastian Shaw, not Robert Shaw, <laughs> and Robert Kelly are lunching. And... Uh, Shaw wants to bring back the Sentinel project in a big, bad way. And Robert Kelly's like, I don't know. Every time we bring back a Sentinel, somebody else comes along and destroys that Sentinel. And suppose we lose control. What then? I'm sorry, Sebastian. The risks far outweigh any potential benefit. My mother's ring because Sharon has now brought a glass of wine to the uh, to the senator. And she is dressed up in a maid's outfit. And he says, what the devil? And Shaw starts laughing. Ha, 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 ha. He, he. Oh. You're missing the part, though, that Shaw has developed or wants to develop technology so that when somebody comes along and destroys the Sentinel, even if there's a molecule left, it can rebuild itself. No, I think I skipped over that when you I read did. it. You did, and that's when Kelly's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What if we lose control and we can't contain it? Um, yes, and that's when he's shocked by Sharon in the maid uniform and and uh, Senator or, uh, Rob, Rob, my gosh, Sebastian Shaw's like, oh, man, hellfire women can hold their own. I bet you you married a real tigress. I just realized Robert Kelly does a spit take. He totally does. <laughs> He's like drinking his wine and then she says, Sharon says, then we ladies might have ourselves some real fun. She says, it's truly a shame, though, that you gentlemen don't have an equivalent costume. So she wants to see these fat Hellfire Club men in Speedos? Or an equivalent. Yeah, I guess. I guess the equivalent would be Speedos. I mean, not for nothing, but like all of the women in the Hellfire Club are model-esque pinups. And all the dudes are like rich, fat guys. 
they, well, I think Sebastian Shaw is sort of built, right? Yeah, I mean, when he, he's probably a decent looking dude. Yeah, I'm looking at the drawing right here. He, he looks pretty wide and he looks evil. I feel like he doesn't wear his shirt all the time and he's like super buff. He's kind of gross looking. <laughs> Just saying, like, there's no beefcakes uh, that we know of in the Hellfire Club. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's just weird, out-of-place dialogue. I understand what they're trying to do to be like, look, she's an empowered woman. But she's if she was real, she'd be like, you guys are gross. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go down to, I don't know, the gentleman's club. Or the, not the gentleman's club. Traditionally, women are less impressed by physical features than men are impressed by physical features. So... I don't know. Maybe this whole line of dialogue doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. She really wants to see them for their minds. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Anyways, Rogue is in uh, New York now, and she apparently a friend was holding all of um, Carol Danvers' stuff. And so she she's picking it up. Yep. She's got a bag of stuff. And Psylocke meets her outside and says, fancy meeting you here. And uh, it's it's Carol still. Yeah. And so they go out for some Sundays at like a cafe or something. And uh, uh, Carol pulls out the costume, her, her Carol Danvers, Ms. Marvel uniform with the blue costume with a lightning bolt on it. And, and Psylocke is looking at it and says, you actually wore this? And I, she's like, you should have seen what it replaced, which I have no idea what that costume was. I don't, I feel like, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. But I, I have, I've definitely seen it. Uh, she also points out, Betsy does, that uh, I couldn't read your mind if I wanted to. You and Carol are an enigma and together I can't, I can't see in your mind. So you guys are one and the same. Carol goes on, she's like, you know, I didn't ask for this, and all I want is a year, a year of control of this body, because then I'd go play on the Red Sox, and I'd be center field, and we'd win. We'd win the World Series if I was in Rogue for a year. It's, it almost goes on. It's got like the rhythm of like a Dr. Seuss story, the way she goes on and on about, <laughs> if I only had this body for a year, oh, the things I would do. Um, Never happen, probably be disqualified because you're a woman, because I'm a mutant. People claim my powers would give me an unfair advantage. And let's face it, they'd be right. She she uses the contraction, people'd be right. Oh, yeah. Which <laughs> I like, people'd be right. I don't know if it's a correct grammar, but I like it. It was a, it was a good choice by the... Uh, the ink, or not the ink or the letterer, who was like, I don't know if I can fit the word wood into this <laughs> yeah. balloon. Just not enough room. What? Peopled. Peopled be right. <laughs> and so, meanwhile, at a construction site down the road, uh, we see uh, Nimrod's alter ego, ego, Nicholas Hunter, who's the foreman of this explosive crew. And uh, he sees a thing in the ground uh his diagnostics are unable to detect what it is it looks familiar he scans it he touches it and all of a sudden he turns from his human form into his nimrod form and the whole he can't let go of it and the whole thing blows up and the construction workers are like oh no nick was over there we got to clean up and one of the guys is like nobody would have survived that we got to get out of here and they decide they need to continue searching for nick 
And that's when Master Mold from the cover bursts up through the rubble and says, Master Mold once more restored to full operational capability. So we don't quite know what happened, um, but Nimrod appears to have been replaced by Master Mold. So that that's all that I, I, I mean, I have guesses to what's going on, but we'll, we'll see. I, they out and out say it in kind of a throwaway line, which it took me until my most recent read to pick up on. Um, but this is the place I would have to imagine where Power Pack defeated Master Mold, because I think that's the last time we saw him. Oh yeah, I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming that that this is Master Mold rising from. I guess what I was wondering is what happens to Nimrod. Yes, yes, and they say what happens to Nimrod. Oh, where do they say that? I'll point it out when we get there if I can remember or find okay. it. Okay, we only got a few more pages left, so it's coming up. I think. Um, okay. So okay. okay, Rogue or Carol <laughs> in Rogue's body and um, Betsy are are walking around. They're still talking about rogue and how it's not fair betsy talks about how she's a telepath and she reads minds and there's the city is filled with millions of people and she's kind of down about it um i what i don't get about this whole carol rogue thing is like carol's not really carol because binary's carol but okay think about it like this it's kind of the point i made in the um powers of 10 House of X. By the way, it's available on Patreon. <laughs> now, don't spoil anything. I won't. Ooh, I might. Hmm. Well, there's a thing that happens to the X-Men. Um, okay, okay. And uh, the X-Men are in space, and then they're on the island. Okay, okay. And I made a comment in the podcast about, like, well... What is your soul? What is your mind? Is it is it just like your thoughts and your memories all kind of collected? Could let me be, let me take a step back and take it out of House of X powers of 10 maybe. What if I was to take my personality as it is right this moment and dump it into a computer? And then I was to go find a meat golem and upload those memories and those thoughts into that meat golem. Would there now be two of me? Well, so what about where are you? I'm still here. So there's three of you then. No, well, or, or did you, or did you remove your soul from yourself? You are now, you are now just, uh, you're just meat. I just no, I downloaded like a copy of like my thoughts, my memories, my feelings, my taste, my desires. I downloaded all of that into my computer, and then I uploaded it from that computer into a meat sack. Well, I guess the 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 main reason that I am asking this is because I feel like in all of my comic book reading. They never deal with the fact that there are two carols and resolve that issue. And maybe maybe I just have never read it and you're familiar with it. I certainly hope they deal with it. I'm sure they do. I mean, it's comics. So they, there's not really two carols. Carol is binary and she's in space with the star jammers jamming across the universe. But this carol is the carol that Rogue touched on the bridge right. right so all of those thoughts and memories from that moment from from the moment she was born to that moment are in rogue and when carol took over she kind of starts from that point right so there's that kind of carol persona inside of rogue and then there's real carol out in the stars i just want to know what happens you'll find out 
And, okay. and this is kind of what I'm talking about. I think you'll find out in the next 15 issues or so. Oh, and I great. don't know. Uh, well, these are the things. Things are going to happen to all of our favorite characters here, Adam. And uh, it gets really confusing. And I'm hoping that you can help me put it all together. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> and part <laughs> I'm of the worst person for that. <laughs> and part of what all falls apart and gets put back together is this whole kind of Rogue and Carol thing. Uh, it's also possible that they just completely drop it. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm predicting cuz I've read all these and I just don't remember. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that happen uh and I know if... what happens to Betsy. Ugh, that's <laughs> way too complicated. Right? I feel like similar things happen to Rogue and oh, Dazzler <laughs> and Colossus and Callisto somehow. And she's not okay. even here. Uh, all right. Anyways, so they're walking around and, and Betsy gets some impressions and she's like, oh, Carol, close by screams, terror, pain. It's a massacre. And we flip over and there's a master mold. And he says that he's he's looking for the 12 because he's always looking for the 12. He extrapolates that since humans are the progenitor of humans, fulfillment of the prime directive uh, requires the extermination of mutant kind. I mean, humankind. And mutant kind, but humankind. Since humans are the progenitors of all mutants, fulfillment of prime directive requires the extermination of humankind. Carol flies in and she's like, oh, there's a guy. He must be 30 feet tall. And now Rogue is wearing the Miss Marvel outfit. Yeah, well, I mean, it was time to do some superheroing. So she's like, well, it's a good thing I've got this. She just said earlier in the bar, Rogue isn't going to wear this outfit. But Rogue's not in control right now. Carol is. Shame on you, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> Rogue is. Do you remember um, uh, what was the uh, what was that movie <laughs> where they go into uh, being John Malkovich? Yes, Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Yeah, so it's all like they're riding shotgun in the back of uh, Malkovich's brain. So Carol says earlier in this issue, Rogue isn't wearing it. Rogue won't be wearing it. That's a memento of my life. Well, then then a giant 30-foot <laughs> robot started attacking the town. She's like, well, got to take off my clothes and put this, this uh, swimsuit-looking thing on because that offers lots of protection. She is disavowing that she is Rogue. Yes. I don't like it. Yeah, well. She doesn't like the fact that her uh, personality and memories were stolen out of her body. Hashtag not my rogue. <laughs> so, yes, uh, she does say, like, it's really a good thing that we're invisible. The X-Men are invisible to electronic sensors. He won't even feel me when I fly into him. Uh, but right at the last moment, he does sense her and flaps her away. Yeah, and just smacks her away. It's, it's... And then we cut over to... The most anonymous car that I've ever seen from an interior perspective. Um, Senator Kelly and Sharon Kelly are arguing about how uh, Senator Kelly doesn't want Sharon to embarrass her the way the uh, embarrass him the way that she did. And she says, well, I would never do that in public. I only did it because I trust you, uh, Sebastian. He's a friend. And I was only other than that, I was only in front of you. Um, don't you have any idea how much you mean to me and how very much I love? And then Rogue slash Carol flies into the car and it explodes. Yeah. It, 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 the perspective of the inside of this limo is ginormous. 
It's ridiculous. I mean, I've been inside of a like a stretch Hummer before, and this beats the hell out of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so Rogue's Carol's laying on the ground. He hit me, sensed my attack, but how? Sharon is meanwhile is like, oh, something hit us. I'm in pain. Robert, he's unconscious. Uh, Car all busted. I'm all busted. So Carol has enough strength and wherewithal to punch the door. Say, so Rogue is back now. Yep. Carol's KO'd, serves her right. I'm in charge. She says it's hard to focus. focus. Thoughts, moves. That was some punch. Lady needs a hand. So she punches the door open with a punct, and then she falls unconscious. Uh, Sharon pulls Senator Kelly from the car, and she's like, uh, and this kind of goes back to what Sebastian Shaw was saying earlier, that Hellfire women are tough. Like, she's she's not going to just hang out by her man and run away. She's like, there's another person in that car. I got to go save her. So she goes running in uh, to go pull Rogue out, but at the last moment, Rogue's like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm awake. What am I wearing? What's happening? And Master Mold comes down on the car. Uh, Rogue uh, tells the girl, Sharon, to run, run for it, girl. I'm pretty near and vulnerable. I'll draw his fire. Well, now, uh, this is where we find out what happens. And he says, weapon systems locked on target query, anomalous data from sensors, referring to Rogue. One contact firm, referring to Sharon. Other inconclusive, possible non-existent, possible unit dysfunction as a result of integration of master mold and nimrod systems so okay he that's why he's got i think this pink face is because when nimrod touched that kind of electrical component nimrod had enough or master mold had enough uh um, recovery stuff that i think sebastian shaw was talking about earlier in the issue that he was able to integrate nimrod into his systems to create like a super master mold okay that makes sense that's kind of what i figured happened what I don't know is, like, is this for, I don't think, actually, I think we find out next issue. Yeah, I have a feeling. Okay, anyways, uh, he's run, he's hesitating to run for a girl, so Sharon is, is running, and uh, Master Nimrod catches that on his sensors and shoots the car, blowing up the car, but the, um, uh, the debris hits Sharon, <laughs> knocks her... It's con- it's confusing because he says target attempting escape termination sanctioned. So it's like he shoots Sharon because Rogue isn't attempting escape. He, yeah, the, everything's weird. He blows up the car. Sharon is maybe 10 feet away from the car and the blast kind of pushes her away. But it does. His dialogue seems to make it seem like he wants to kill Sharon because Sharon's trying to run away. Yeah, which know. he does. It's kind of confusing. And she. Uh, Robert Kelly runs up to Sharon, says, don't die, do you hear? Please, Lord, please don't let her die. Store, or Rogue can't move. She's like, I, nothing works, can't get off the ground. Uh, think, I'm done. Target two, termination sanctioned. Yeah, so, so he did kill Sharon. Yes. But he also blew up the car. So he purposely killed Sharon and now he's going for target two. Yeah, it's not. It's weird. It's very weird. They don't do it the right way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I think that the the biggest issue with this the biggest issue with this issue is that it's it's kind of a filler, but it's setting up everything we need to know for kind of the next large X Men story arc. 
I don't think it's a filler. I mean, you get a lot of character stuff. So mm. I'd never call those filler. We learn we learn about where we're headed. We learn about a little bit about what's going on with Wolverine. We get some Dazzler character study stuff. We get some Rogue and Carol character study stuff. We got some Psylocke stuff. I wouldn't call that a filler. I feel like it could have all been cut down in half, though. Uh, okay. <laughs> I feel like it was a little long-winded in some stretches, but... I get it. They got pages to fill. And I'm not complaining. I'm, any... I'm not sure what you would chop, though. I don't know. The little forced confrontation between Dazzler and Havoc? That's the only thing that I would chop. Uh, like that, and that that's a page. There seemed to be a lot of dialogue between Dazzler and Psylocke that wasn't necessary. You mean Rogan, Rogan Psylocke? Rogan Psylocke. The gist of all of that is that there's a moral dilemma about Carol using Rogue's body and Rogue having stolen her powers originally. That's an interesting concept, but I felt like it was two and a half pages of that. So you would cut it down to like one page? I don't know. I See, I, just saying, I feel like some of it was filler to, to make the pages. I don't know that you could combine this issue and the next issue to make like one single issue. I think you'd have to cut way too much at that point. Just saying. It felt a little long in some areas. I'm just trying to understand your, you know, this is the ongoing attempt of Adam to understand Jeremy's definition of filler. We've had this discussion before. It's like when you're editing a movie and you got all this great stuff, but then you look at it and you're like, "Ugh, this thing is so long and it's kind of plodding along in certain areas. And you find extra bits where you're like, oh, we got this. We got this conflict. We got this, uh, we understand what this person's motive is. Actually, you know what it's like? Uh, um, <clears throat> have you ever seen the Terminator 2 director's cut? Yes, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. It's It's been a long time. So it doesn't matter. There's the theatrical release, which is which is good. It stands on its own. Isn't there a cut scene with Michael Bean? Yes, which yeah. is completely unnecessary. It's great to see him, but it's, it's like, whoops, there's the pacing. Just kind of like falls off. Uh, and you go through this thing that's completely unnecessary because his only point in being in the movie is because to reprise his role, but then to also be like, you have to save our son, but we already know that she's going to do that. So that seems unnecessary. My point is, is that there's, I, I and this is only on my mind because I recently w- watched it uh, and I was like, oh God, all of these scenes are just completely unnecessary. Yes, <laughs> they f- more flesh out the Terminator, they more flesh out Sarah Connor and John Connor, but like we get all of that just in quicker bits earlier in the movie or, or in different areas in the movie. You don't need it. We don't need an extended scene to reemphasize something we more or less already know. That's how I feel about the extended scenes of aliens. Those are unnecessary and poorly acted too, which doesn't help. Uh, interesting. I would have to rewatch that to see if I would feel the same way. I feel like I would. I feel like I have watched the director's cut and it took me like three or four watches to get through it because I might have kept <laughs> falling asleep. It definitely lacks the pacing. The only director's cut of James Cameron's that I really like is the Abyss director's Piranha cut. Piranha 2? Oh. <laughs> I've never seen Piranha 2. What? Uh, me neither. <laughs> the Abyss's director's cut is excellent. I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, the majority of the cut footage is from the end, so it's not like a bunch of like m- more customer or, or character development. It's at the end of the movie in the theatrical release, 
you know, the, the little underwater alien NTIs are like, we should kill you. Oh, but you like that woman. Love. You are redeemed. And then that sounds that's, terrible. that's that, well, that's <laughs> kind of that's the theatrical release. And oh, that's, that's, the, that's the one I saw. OK, right. So like the, the whole movie is like great. And you get that that awesome water effect and all, all the submarine stuff. And the, this the majority of that movie is great until you get to the end and you're like, Oh, love, boom, and then it's over. And you're like, what the hell? But there's a director's <laughs> cut where they throw like 18 more minutes into that ending sequence, which sounds like a lot, but it really like kind of goes through this whole evolution of the NTIs, like learning what love means from the human's perspective. Uh, and then there's just, I don't know, more scenes. And, and then it's not so cheesy, like love conquers all. <laughs> it, I mean, it does kind of boil down to love does conquer all but it it does it in a, a far more satisfactory way than the theatrical release did. interesting so i recommend that but but i guess that's so to to, to pull it all full circle that's what i'm talking about uh, if that makes any sense some of the, like take i guess take the aliens director's cut uh, and then compare that against the theatrical release and then the things that are added that's what i'm talking about as being filler okay but I don't think that works in the context of comic books where you have to fill 22 well, pages a month. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying is like, just saying, Adam, I feel like there's a page or two of film. I know, I know, I know. And I'm, and I'm not arguing with you, even if it sounds like I am, I'm just, I'm just trying to get it. Okay. Well, that that's, that's, that's my story. I don't think that there's anything that they could do about it though, because they do need to fill those 22 or so pages. Yeah. Uh, so I guess this day and age. Chris Claremont's a hack. In this day and age, they probably would just do a full page splash of something. Yeah, that's true. And that's how we fill the page. Yeah. Uh, anyways, there you go. If you guys want to let us know your favorite director's cuts, what else did we talk about that was not X-Men related? The, this episode? Oh, Jaws characters and actors? I don't remember what we just talked about. <laughs> well... If you want to also be a part of a conversation that we immediately forget after having. Probably G.I. Joe. Mm, I don't think we did any G.I. Joe I don't think we did this time, but I mean, it's it's like an 80% chance. Mm, yeah. Uh, give us a shout. www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Twitter us at Danger Room Go. Email Danger Room at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes. You can uh, search us up. We're the first podcast listed under Danger Room. You can leave us some stars, leave us some reviews, subscribe to the podcast, uh, or call us and leave a voice message at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. Or go out to patreon.com forward slash Danger Room, and you can listen to the aforementioned Powers of Ten House of X full rundown where the story of the meat golems I was trying to not spoil <laughs> is actually presented. I like that, meat golems. <laughs> Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Adam, I was thinking about a Patreon level. Yeah, okay. What do you got? It would be cheap. Like, I'm thinking like 10 bucks or something like that. But you know how, like, for, from time to time, we we will do a movie review. Typically it's, well, so far it's only been Star Wars or X-Men movie related. Uh, but, you know, we, we have a lot of things on our on our minds. We talk about G.I. Joe a lot, Transformers a lot, and other uh, 80s nostalgia. I was thinking of a, a level, 10 bucks maybe, where 
the patron or the Patreon who is contributing at that amount could be like, do an episode on thing, fill in the blank. The thing. Yeah. Well, I would do a podcast on the thing. <laughs> Which one? Oh, well, that's a great question. I was <laughs> I just watched it because it was Halloween recently, and it was on TV, and I was like, oh, I love this movie, and I watched I mean, obviously it. Obviously, our preference would be the John Carpenter one, but yeah, which yeah, one? Yeah. Oh, sorry. The John Carpenter one. So I watched the John Carpenter one, which is which is fantastic. It it more or less holds up the test of time. There's a there's a few, especially with HD and stuff, kind of clearing things up. You're like, ooh, that effect didn't work very well. Uh, the special the special effects are great though. Well, for the most part, the creature effects are are top notch. Uh, yeah. But that's when I was talking to a friend of mine. He's like, because he also I was like, which thing did you watch? And I was like, well, the John Carpenter one because I was only familiar with the original, which I've never seen. Uh, and the John Carpenter one, and apparently there was one from like 2006, which is supposedly a prequel. Oh, okay. Oh, you know what? I think I did see that, uh, and it was completely <laughs> immemorable. Um, yeah. But my friend was telling me that the director of that movie was like, "Oh, I'm going to make a thing just like John Carpenter's. Going to be nothing but practical effects." And apparently, the whole thing was shot with practical effects, and then the studio came along and threw a whole bunch of CGI into it. All right, so I'm going to do this. I will put on I will put out a ten dollar level, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it'll be like uh, anybody who anybody who pays ten dollars for that month gets to vote on a movie, and uh, we'll we'll start making a running list, and we'll try to do we'll try to do everything for everybody that pays. Is it is it is it a vote or is it just hey guys, I want you to do a podcast. On this thing that I am choosing. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it'll, it has to start out like that. Um, but if we have like, let's say, let's say we get to the point where there's ten people who are paying at this, we're not going to do ten movies that month. It doesn't necessarily have to be a movie, Adam. What if? What oh, if okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Fine. What if they want us to do our recollections on our favorite GI Joe cartoon episodes? Regardless of what it is, we're not going to be able to do as many episodes as there are uh, members at that level, mm. assuming that we get more than one, if any. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll have to figure out a way where we put all the suggestions into a pot and allow everybody to vote. Mm. Oh, oh, mm, interesting. I like where your head's at. All right. So um, on the other hand, if we only get one, hey, it's your shot, man. You get to decide every month. <laughs> yeah. I think that would even go if there was uh, just two. So so your odds are pretty good of getting like like your thing covered. Um so go to patreon.com slash dangerroom uh soon and check that out. And let us know what you think of this price point. Uh if if you're like a type of guy was like or gal who says I'd like to do that but I probably wouldn't pay ten dollars for that let us know mm. we may or may not change our minds no promises we're gonna just try out ten dollars for now see how that goes after six months and nobody buys into this we'll probably lower the price <laughs> fair warning yeah yeah so so if you're a bargain hunter you may want to just hold on to your money and and, and see if we <laughs> see who folds first you or us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but seriously, we have more comics to talk about. Uh, New Mutants number 78. Um, if you recall, do you recall? I don't. Danny was possessed by some sort of Asgardian demon, death demon, and the members of 
uh, the New Mutants and the Exterminators or whoever the heck they are, uh, Skids and Rusty, managed to get her on ice with her help. And now they are attempting to take her uh, across the ocean to where ship is so that they can analyze and perhaps fix her. And they get stopped by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, also known as Freedom Force. And the Freedom Force wants Rusty Collins back. So they, of course, get into a fight. Uh, interesting. At some point, Blob says something that's kind of interesting. He says, uh, he basically reveals that all of the babies that they collected from Inferno are now being held by Freedom Force and the government to be trained as mutant warriors or something. I don't know if anything ever comes from that, but that was kind of interesting. We'll have to keep our eye open on that because as far I, I'm not aware of that story going anywhere. But that's yeah. an interesting idea. Um, the New Mutants, uh, Rusty turns himself in, more or less, and the New Mutants do manage to escape, bringing uh, Danny back to ship. But then at the last second, ship like takes off and just goes off into space. And they're, the New Mutants are like, what happened? Why? And we get a word bubble thing that says, find out in X-Factor 43. Uh, Doctor Strange has been there in his astro form. Still don't know why he's dead, but he, uh, or why he wants the world to think he's dead, rather. Uh, he's there in his astro form. He realizes that Danny is Asgardian somehow and sends the New Mutants to and Danny to Asgard. And that's where we end this issue. Uh, X factor number 43, uh, the ship and X factor always assumed that the ship was created by apocalypse, um, and then ultimately freed by X factor. But all of a sudden the ship is, um, pulled from Manhattan into space. Hey, that's what I just said. And ultimately into hyper space. It's almost like these two issues were tied together. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but before they get into hyperspace, Marv, um, the the X Factor doesn't clear the deck, so Ship has to um, erect a, a shield around the deck to keep everybody in uh, X Factor and uh, the little baby Scott's son. And Ship's like, "Oh, don't worry, I got you. You got air and and everything. So you know, if you can make your way under decks, that'd be great." And Gene's like. I never thought I'd see it again. And she uses her telekinesis to and to blast a hole through the shield and she flies out into space and then she realizes she can't breathe and X-Factor has to quickly make a plan to rescue her. So Archangel, he flies up there and he pulls her out. Of, so they're like, they're in space. <laughs> Not protected by spacesuits or any sort of atmosphere. Uh, I feel like they would freeze to death uh, and die. X-Factor in space. But they don't. Uh, Archangel is able to pull Marvel Girl back down to the ship. Iceman uses uh, his uh, ice power to plug up the hole. And Beast uses his strength, I think, to help Angel get through kind of the last... Mo like, it's teamwork is basically what's happening. I think Cyclops also blasts away some debris. It's, it's all very silly, but I guess, like, if this is your first issue of X-Factor, you know that they're a team and they use teamwork. Yay. Uh, we get a little genes like, oh, man, I've got the best and the worst. Well, Cyclops says you have the best things of Phoenix and Madeline. I'm so happy that I loved those things about them and they're in you. So, again, more like 
I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> I couldn't be helped. All the best parts of you were in those two people. And, and she's like, I don't know. There's the phoenix that could breathe in space. What if I have just the worst of everything? And she goes on to say that she's like, I've got the, the desire and the memories of the phoenix, but I want to die like Madeline. <laughs> so it gets dark. Yeah, so she thought she was Phoenix when she ran off into space, but it turns out that it was Madeline manipulating her. Yeah. Fly up there and die. Um, yeah. Not just her, but all of X-Factor. Yeah. She wanted to kill everybody. They they get pulled into hyperspace. Uh, every Well, Archangel, well, Jean calls out like, oh, hyperspace, and Archangel's like, oh, she instantly recognized it like she's been here before. Weird. <laughs> More Phoenix. Memories, uh, they get pulled into the hands of a celestial, although X-Factor doesn't know what it is. Uh, and the only reason we do is because we read Secret Wars 2. Uh, and there's a planet below where the celestial transfers them to, and it's like some warring factions. Things get really confusing, and there's like, I don't know, some rebels who think X-Factor is there's this particular name that they give them that I don't remember what it is. Uh, I'll look for it. It doesn't, I don't, this, this storyline is boring. <laughs> There's two sides. Well, it was, it wasn't boring until you meet these two factions. Yes. I, I like all the celestial stuff. I'm like, Ooh, cool. Celestial. Yes. I like the idea of X factor in space, but then, then like, I agree with you, you get to this two warring factions, half of which are mutants half of which are humans, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I guess I guess mutants that look like humans and mutants that look like beasts. Right. And I forget what they're... I, I'll see if I can find what they're called. But yeah, this is where I thought it got kind of dumb. Uh, they fight, and I think X-Factor gets captured. They get separated. They get separated, and somebody steals the baby. Uh, so the baby is not with Scott or Gene. It's with... Some dude is like, ooh, a baby. This is awesome. I I think he wants to sell the baby, maybe. Babies are worth a lot. Yeah. Eh, that's all I got. Oh, and there's like a third faction of people that can go back and forth between being non-humanoid looking and humanoid looking, and Iceman falls into that category. Right. There's a, like a firewoman who's like, uh, she's chosen Iceman to be her arch nemesis but then he turns into a human and she's like ooh I can do that too he's one of me yeah so when I originally tried to read I was going to read like the entire run of X Factor Mm -hmm. I got to this storyline and I stopped (laughs) but the the very last panel is a celestial stepping on Scott which is awesome that's true. Throughout most of this fight, you see a celestial in the background getting lower and lower and lower and lower until finally everyone's like, oh, my God, it's going to step on us. And everybody clears the way. I think there's a whole bunch of dead bodies that Cyclops is, like, crawling his way out of. And he's, like, yeah. sees this foot coming towards him, and he uses optic beams to try to keep it away from him. But his optic beams aren't working. And he's like, oh, God, what a stupid way to die. Which is a great thing to say before you die. So, I mean, it, the the issue has its ups and downs. I'll give it that, but, but yeah. Did you read Damage Control number four? I didn't. I no. I didn't. I was going to. I found it on Marvel Unlimited. <laughs> I just I never got around to reading it. So it's it's essentially a flashback issue. Um, of de- uh, well, it's it's a flashback uh, issue in the sense that. Uh, 
damage control goes to repair the X mansion because it's been destroyed because of Inferno. When they get there, half of the team thinks that it's already built and the other half realizes that it's broken. And so we get a flashback where of the first time that damage control visit the mansion back when the team was there and professor X was there and the danger room went out of control. Um, and, uh, it was a lots of hilarious shenanigans. Essentially the Marx brothers show up, uh, Wolverine gets hit in the face with a pie. He's really embarrassed by that. Um, all sorts of hilarious shenanigans happen. Um, and at the end of it, the professors says, I need to mind wipe all of you fellows at damage control because you can't know our secret that the X-Men are live here at Professor Xavier's school for gifted mutants. So that's why all of the damage control people think that the the house is not destroyed because they're supposed to remember it exactly as the professor wants to remember it. And then they slowly come out of that mind wipe and they all drive away. Hmm. It was an interesting story. I mean, it's completely unimportant to uh, continuity or anything like that, but it was kind of fun. It was very silly. Interesting. And then uh, Marvel comics presents number 30. Uh, Wolverine and Havoc break back into the Living Pharaoh's headquarters uh, where Havoc is searching for Leela O'Toole and he finds the gigantic female tracker that he last saw and she takes off her mask to reveal that she is Leela O'Toole. What a surprise. Did you mention that Wolverine's in this issue? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and he doesn't do anything important, but he's no, here. No, he doesn't. They, 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 the whole issue was them just basically fighting their way to the end. I feel like you could, I mean, not you, but anyone could chalk up all of these Marvel Comics Presents vignettes into like two sentences. Kind of, yeah. I mean, that seems, that's the problem with summarizing them is that I can pretty much summarize them in a sentence because not really a lot happens. So you could probably summarize the entire series in however many parts it is number of sentences so this is like an eight-part series i could get come up with eight sentences for this probably uh i think we've talked about this before but i have to imagine that uh if you were to fold all of these into a single issue it would probably be a terrible read yes it would be very weirdly paced yep. it would be it would be a whole lot of like nothing happening cliffhangers. and then a bunch of cliffhangers <laughs> yep. so well, there it is. There it is. Woof, 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 there it is. Well, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs>